Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 113 of The Sco Show, probably a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Monday, June 8th, 2020. We took a bit of a hiatus last week. There were no shows last week. You can probably imagine why. There were some other things going on in the world that it felt like it was a good time to sort of hit the pause button. And we're going to do a mailbag show today. We're not really going to dive into the events of the last 14 days or so in this country too much. Um, There are some questions that kind of touch on that. I don't really want to dive into it. I want to sort of get back to football. But I do want to say this. Part of the reason that I hit the pause button here on this show last week was because I thought it was more important for people like me to listen. You know, you didn't need a week or you didn't need shows of me talking about this. You know, for people like me, it's a good time to sit back, to listen, to learn, and to amplify. And that was sort of what my focus was last week, personally, professionally, on social media. Um, This is a, I don't want to use the word, the phrase inflection point. But I do think this is different. I do think this time is different from talking to people, from listening to people, both in my private life, friends, loved ones. I do think that this is a different moment in our country. Um, But I did think that it was a good time to sort of do that, to listen, to learn, and to amplify. And that's what I did last week. That's why I hit the pause button last week. We get back into football this week and beyond Um, I know in the past I have dove headfirst into bigger issues than football on this show, on Locked on Patriots. Perhaps at some point I will, but not now. Now is the time for me to listen, to amplify, and then to do what I do, which is to talk about football. And that's what I'm going to do today. I said it's a a mailbag show. I've got some questions that I'm going to get into. It's not going to be an overly long show. Um, again, many of you, probably like many of me, your thoughts and your mind is elsewhere right now. And that's okay. That's good. That's probably where it should be. Football is probably down the list of priorities for most of you. Um, but for those of you that want to sort of get back to that or take 30 minutes to get back to that, we're going to do that today. Before we dive in, your usual reminders here at the outset, follow along with the hijinks. 
on Twitter or with the amplification on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work inside the pylon, Matt Waldman's rookie scout and portfolio, three different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, USA Today Touchdown Wire, where we're still both covering the game and covering the larger aspects of life today um, with, through a football lens. Um, I, I do also, if you haven't seen it, Rashad Caldwell, the former Patriot, was shot and killed. Um, trying to figure out what happened in that situation, but he lost his life this weekend. So our thoughts and our prayers are with Rache Caldwell and his family as we can sort of get back to things here at the SCO Show. Let's dive into your questions. Um, like I said, I got a handful of questions, not a ton, um, but enough to do a show here. And the first one comes from Brant Mushberger, excuse me, at Sweens104SWEENZ104. First time caller, long time listener. Is Jarrett Stidham the bee's knees? Will he win an MVP in year one? Or will we have to wait until year two? I'll hand up and listen. You know, Brant, it's, it's funny you ask that. I saw a tweet from Eli Herskovich. It was at Eli Herskovich, E-L-I-H-E-R-S-H-K-O-V-I-C-H, who works for a bunch of different outlets, the Action Network, 670 The Score, um, hosts a couple of shows on gambling. And he tweeted out on Sunday that Jared Stidham has the same MVP odds, 50-1 to 1 or better, as players such as Josh Allen, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ben Roethlisberger, Matthew Stafford. Allen, Garoppolo, Roethlisberger, Stafford, and Stidham, all of the same MVP odds, 50 to 1. He has better MVP odds than Philip Rivers, who's 60 to 1, Kirk Cousins, who's 66 to 1, Jared Goff, who's 80 to 1, and Derek Carr, who's 80 to 1. I'm just throwing that out there. Now, do I think Jared Stidham wins an MVP this season? No. Do I think his odds at 50 to 1 are a bit high? Yeah. If he slides to 80 to 1 or 100 to 1, might I consider a friendly wager? Perhaps. If the Patriots are a playoff team and make a run to the conference championship game, to a Super Bowl, you know, it could happen. Jared Stidham is going to get a lot of attention. It may be built on the backs of the defense, but quarterbacks get the headlines. Now, do I think that Jared Stidham is going to win an MVP? No. But am I excited about the Jared Stidham era? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I've been talking about life post-Brady for years now on this show and previously on Locked on Patriots. And as somebody that covers quarterbacks, as somebody whose focus and his work centers on quarterbacks and offensive schemes... The idea of a new offense under a different quarterback is fascinating to me from sort of a scientific standpoint. And do I think Jared Stidham is going to do what Tom Brady did overnight? No. Am I excited to see how it fares? Sure. Do I think he's going to win an MVP in year one? Probably not. In year two? Maybe. Next question comes in from Carol at Carol Sco. Yeah, it's my mom. At C-A-R-O-L-S-C-H-O on the Twitter machine. 
Read that Brady would have liked to go to the Saints if Breeze retired. Do you think he would have preferred them to Tampa Bay? Yes and no. And in case you wonder, my mom's referring to a report that came out after Drew Brees had a bit of a up and down week last week that the Saints, that Brady were sort of wondering to see what Breeze was going to do because if Breeze did think about retiring or did re- in fact retire, that Brady was going to perhaps go to New Orleans. Now, do I think that that could have happened? Yes. Do I think that Brady might have liked to go to New Orleans? Certainly. Why? Well, Sean Payton's offense is a bit more familiar in the sense of the designs, the route concepts, West Coast stuff, quick game elements, there's more overlap between the Patriots' playbook and Sean Payton's playbook. So Brady would have been on familiar footing had he gone to New Orleans. That being said, if you think back to when I first started talking about Tampa Bay as a potential destination for Tom Brady, both on here and various radio shows and podcasts, part of the reason why I thought Tom Brady wanted to go to Tampa Bay was to prove people wrong in the sense that nobody thought and nobody still thinks, people are starting to come around a bit, but that a Bruce Arians vertical passing game, that playbook is an ideal fit for Tom Brady. And knowing what I know about Tom Brady from covering him first as a fan, then as an analyst, he wants to prove people wrong. And the idea of making it work in a Bruce Arians offense is extremely appealing to Tom Brady. He wants to shut people up. He wants to prove to people that, no, you're wrong. I can run this offense. And so I think, you know, perhaps the idea of running that offense in New Orleans was enticing, but I still think that Brady would have ended up in Tampa Bay. Next question comes to us from Alex Byrne, who's a fantastic follow on Twitter, particularly if you're deep into X's and O's stuff. Um, He's on Twitter at A-B-Y-R-N-E-4-4, the number 4-4. What is Lawrence's biggest weakness? Lawrence being Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback. And I would recommend sort of at the outset that I would recommend the the video breakdown that I did with Matt Walden on Trevor Lawrence. We got deep into his film. We looked at stuff from a bunch of different games. And so I would highly recommend that. Now, as far as a weakness for Lawrence, it's hard to find. Like, I know people are talking about Trey Lance and, and Justin Fields, and we're going to talk about Trey Lance in a minute, probably in the second half of the show. They're all great quarterback prospects. Lawrence seems extremely well-rounded. I mean, Matt and I got into the fact that we could drop, you could drop Trevor Lawrence into Baltimore's offense and he'd be just as good. And I've, I've talked about that some here. But as far as like a weakness, if there is sort of a liability, a, a nit to pick... Accuracy in ball placement, particularly on throws deeper down the field, isn't as pitcher-perfect as you'd like to see. It's not a fatal flaw, and it might have just been a 2019 thing. Like There were some lower body inconsistencies with his mechanics that at times cropped up and at times caused him to miss throws. If you look at the national championship game, he missed a lot of throws high. I think part of that might have been to the fact 
and I haven't revisited this, but I thought at the time, and I actually talked about it on the show, I think he got banged up. I think LSU knocked him up around a bit, and he was a bit banged up. He didn't seem to be finishing throws. He was leaving stuff high. But if there's a weakness, it would be that, I think. But there's not many weaknesses with him. That's the first half of the show. I will be back in a second after this quick little break with the rest of your questions. That's all ahead. We're going to talk some running back stuff. We're going to talk Brady's number being retired. We're going to talk Trey Lance. We're going to talk a little Jameis Winston, Jalen Hurts, and a little bit of Jared Stidham to close it out. I did get a question from Bill Carroll that I'm going to talk about at the end. I'm going to save that for an entirely different show because... I can't spend just five minutes on what he asked. So I didn't want to highlight that. But that's all ahead on episode 113 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 113 of the Sco Show. And I did want to highlight a piece just dropped from Henry McKenna over at Patriots Wire. Jared Siddham's MVP odds feel like a trap bet. Sort of getting to that question that I opened the show with. You might want to check that out on PatriotsWire.com. Uh, PatriotsWire.usatoday.com, excuse me. Let's get into the rest of your questions here. Next one comes to us from my boy Thomas Murphy at T-M-U-R-P-H-2-0-7. Could almost a third of the Patriots roster be made up of running backs and defensive backs? Will number 12 ever be worn in New England again, Skippy or Jiff? First of all, I'm very open-minded when it comes to peanut butter. Skippy, Jiff, it really doesn't matter to me. I don't eat a ton of peanut butter. So Whatever. Either one, either or. Will number 12 ever be worn in New England again? No. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that thing retired this week. I mean, there's no way you're wearing number 12 again. Absolutely not. And his final question, my boy Murph, could almost a third of the Patriots roster be made up of running backs and defensive backs? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you look at number one, the way that defenses seem to be trending. A lot of people, myself included, Seth Galina and others, have written about the three-safety trend we're seeing in both the college and the pro game. We know Bill Belichick loves to run with three safeties. And so you're going to see a lot of defensive backs on this roster. Jason McCourty, J.C. Jackson, Justin Bethel, who's a special teamer, Patrick Chun, Terrence Brooks, Miles Brandt, perhaps, Devin McCourty, Adrian Phillips, Kyle Duggar, Stephon Gilmore, Jonathan Jones, Joan Williams, who out of those guys are you cutting? Maybe Miles Bryant? And running backs? I think Sony Michelle, James White, Brandon Bolden, Rex Burkett, Damian Harris, Dan Vitale are all probably safe. And who knows if J.J. Taylor shows out in training camp and in preseason and contributes on special teams. Yeah. For the trend that they seem to be building on both sides of the ball, you might only see a couple of wide receivers. You might see only a couple of guys, front seven guys, you know, as many as necessary. This is going to be a lot of very, you know, defensive back heavy, running back heavy offense, I think. 
Zach Thomas at NFL underscore Zach. We've all seen the Trey Lance love. I'm one of them, but I want to hear what you think of him. He's legitimate. He's legitimate. And I think at the outset, the main thing that people will point to is this, you know, the level of competition, right? He's playing in the FCS level. He's playing for a team that's pretty dominant. He's, you know, most of the time he knows his guys are going to be open. Most of the time he knows, you know, he won't have to get deep into progressions. But he's got some Watson to him. He's got some, you know, Trevor Lawrence to him. He's smart with the football. Didn't throw an interception last year. This kid's legit. He's absolutely legit. Now, I've seen some people say he's like Michael Vick and Madden good. That was Matt Miller. I don't know if I'd go that far. But he's legit. And interestingly enough, they've got a good schedule where you're going to get a chance to sort of get a feel for Trey Lance. Provided, you know, everything comes off on time. They open at Oregon. Like, yeah, you've got your Illinois State and Indiana State and South Dakota State and Youngstown State and Missouri State and North Dakota in the Harvest Bowl and South Dakota, their rivalry game. They open at Oregon. That is a tough place to play. And if they go into Oregon, and even if they lose in a like close game, or even if they lose and he plays well, stock up. If they go into Oregon and they win, forget it. Like, forget it. You're, you're talking top five pick. It will happen. The buzz will be there. The buzz is there already. But yeah, I'm excited to see that game. I'm excited to watch a little bit more of him over the next couple of weeks and months. Um, But from what I've seen, the kid's legitimate. Next question from Adam, who is at Double Posts on Twitter. Since the Jameis Winston era looks like it started in New Orleans sooner rather than later, how do you see Peyton utilizing him? Is Jameis Winston going to have to change into a quick-release precision quarterback? Or is Peyton going to change his offense and tailor it to Jalen Winston's arm talent and aggressiveness? And I think it'd be more likely the latter, Adam. Because it's sort of looking at Jameis and studying him from last year and seeing the interceptions and seeing where things sort of went wrong for him. A lot of it is in a... Play speed, process, and speed realm. Where he struggles to get the ball out on time, quickly, make quick reads, make quick decisions, things like that. And I don't see him fitting into a Sean Payton offense. I think in all likelihood, Sean Payton is going to have to change what he does for Jameis Winston. You look at some of his interceptions. I I talked about it, you know, 
on a piece that I did for Matt Waldman's website where, yeah, you look at Jameis Winston, it's a play speed process and speed thing. I don't think you're getting him at this point in his career to speed things up enough. I think a more likely option is he has to slow things down. And slowing things down would happen in Sean Payton's offense if he changes the offense. So that's where I think it goes. All right, two more questions here to get to. Next one comes from uh, CJ O'Shesley, parentheses, Black Lives Matter, close parentheses, who is on Twitter at CJ underscore O-E-C-H underscore A-R-T. How do you see the Eagles realistically use Jalen Hurts? Do you see it as a potential true 2QB system or a Taysom Hill scenario? I think it's more they look at him as the backup, or at least the potential backup with a chance to be their quarterback of the future. I've talked about this, I think, a little bit here, a little bit on the QB factory with Michael Kist. I think they're moving to a more downfield offense, which I think fits Jalen Hurts better than the Doug Peterson West Coast system we've all sort of associated with the Eagles. And so I I think they're looking at Jalen Hurts as their future quarterback in an offense that's going to look more like a downfield system than a true West Coast offense branch off the Andy Reid coaching staff tree. And that's how they're going to use him. Might they have some packages for him, some two QB packages, some other things where they get him on the field? Yeah. But I don't think it's a Taysom Hill situation. I don't think it's a two QB situation. I think it's just they're going to be changing their offense. And they view him as a quarterback of the future. Last question we're going to answer here now, and then I'm going to talk about something that I'm going to be doing later this summer because I need more than just five seconds to get into it. This comes from Cameron Soren, who is at C-A-M-E-R-O-N-S-O-R-A-N. Another brilliant football line. Follow him on Twitter. If you're listening and you have the potential to do so, hire Cameron to write about football for your site. Brilliant guy. He's got a a breakdown of Sabid's coverage concepts that he has pinned to his profile that I have bookmarked that I have read multiple times. I read multiple times a month, sometimes multiple times a week, because if you want to know Sabanese, that's a good place to start. And he asks, how many terrorgeists should I have in my flesh eater courts army? As many as possible. But he also asks, how do you project the Patriots offensive line protection costs to change or not with Stidham at the helm from Brady? That's a fascinating question. I do think that With Brady, you had a lot of five-man or six-man protection schemes with the running back on a check release. You know, you might have had, you know, say in your 54-55 protection, for example, the running back has a check before releasing. You know, I think we might see for Stidham more six and seven man protections, not solely, but I think they're going to want to protect him a bit more. I think you might see, for example, a lot of 52-53. That's a six-man slide protection with two backs in the backfield. One back will free release. The other will dual Mike to Sam. Now, it says in the Patriots playbook, the most recent one that I have, that's rarely used. I think we're going to see a bit more of that. 
You know, especially if you consider that they're probably going to trust their running backs in protection a ton. A ton. Perhaps more than the tight ends, who are probably going to be two rookies. So guys like Michelle, Burkhead, Bolden, if he's on the field, James White, they're going to trust those guys with protection. So you might see a lot more of 52-53. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of slides. You might see a lot of 58-59, which are six-man slides with a three-step drop. You know, trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly. I think you might see a lot of that this year. You know, I think you might see a lot of 62-63. Which is sort of another protection scheme where the tight end is going to be hot versus the linebackers. I think they'll trust the guys to do that, the new tight ends. You know, if you do that out of, say, 21 personnel, one back will again have a free release. The other's going to check or scan. You know, and something I think we're going to see a lot of is that scan protection. Scan tells the halfback he's responsible for the second blitzer strong in 60 protections. If there are two blitzers, both a mic and a star, both must come for the halfback to scan. And that's sort of something that isn't called in the huddle. It's done at the line of scrimmage. I think we're going to see a lot of that too. But I think they're going to trust the running backs with a ton of protection stuff this year to help Jared Stidham. Last thing I'm going to mention, I got a great question from Bill Carroll, who is a must-follow on Twitter, at 11Bravo138. So that's 11Bravo written out, the number one, the number three, the number eight. Follow Bill. Knows more about the game than I ever will. And he asked, if you were listing your top 10 playbooks in history, how would you choose them and what things do you value in a playbook? That's a that's a topic for another show. My top 10 playbooks and what I value in a playbook, how would I choose them? That's a brilliant question. I just wanted to shout Bill out. Follow Bill on Twitter. I will address that at some point this summer. That's a perfect summer topic. Evergreen, summer type listening when you're at the beach or wherever you're at. But that will do it for today. I will be back on Thursday. Again, back to sh- two shows a week now unless things change, but I expect to show Thursday. Until then, friends, look, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Keep washing those hands. Look, we do still have a pandemic out there. Like, they are emptying the storyboard for 2020, for this year's series of 2020. And it almost feels like Demi Off and Weiss, you know, final season of Game of Thrones, they're just like, let's just throw everything out there. I mean, we got murder hornets. We've got it all. A lot of stuff hitting us in the face. So, I will say this. As I leave you, um, there's a lot going on. And don't forget to take care of yourself, okay? There's a lot going on. And I know from my own personal experience, it can feel overwhelming just existing right now. And you might feel trapped to the news, to your phone, to Twitter, to whatever. Don't forget to take care of yourself. And if that means reaching out to me on Twitter via the DMs, then please do so. Um, I get DMs all the time. Sometimes I like a day or so late in responding, but I do it the best I can. This is a tough time for a lot of people. Um, A lot of people are struggling. You know, we've got a pandemic. We've got 
a lot of people not working, underemployed, unemployed. People are taking steps to be socially active, to be politically active because of what they've seen coast to coast over the past 14 days. It can be a lot. So just don't forget to take care of yourself. And if you need somebody to listen, if you've got questions about stuff, I don't know that you want to hear from me, um, but I'm here to listen and to help. Um, If you want to talk about things, if you just need somebody to bounce something off of, I'm here. At Mark Schofield on Twitter, I'm here to help you the best I can. That would do it for today. I'll be back Thursday. Until then, stay safe, wash those hands, check in on your neighbors, and when you're washing your hands, sin along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.